Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Flavor of the Week, brought to you by Cap and Cork Beer, Wine, and Spirits, with 15 locations in Fort Wayne and New Haven. In good spirits, in good company. In Flavor of the Week, Kyle sits down with one of our local priests over four different episodes to sample variations of a favorite food or drink while they discuss the ins and outs of life as a priest. This is Kyle Hyman. Welcome to Flavor of the Week, Part 3 with Monsignor Bill Schooler. I'm here at St. Pius X in Monsignor's office here. Thank you for having me. You're welcome here. You you can come here anytime you bring beer. It's oh, fine. Okay. Well, I, I have to credit Captain Cork for donating these and for underwriting Flavor of the Week. This is uh, Sierra Nevada's Hazy Little Thing IPA. Sounds good. Family owned, operated, and argued over. <laughs> That's a pretty appropriate catchphrase there. All right. And Seminarian Sam has been the uh, silent partner here, but we're going to get to know him in Flavor of the Week Part 4. But we've been talking about the church and the n- new construction here. And we remodeled our house a little bit. And there are so many decisions from flooring to paint colors to fixtures and faucets and every little thing has a decision. I can't imagine how many decisions there are when you're building a church, especially one as beautiful and large as what you've done here with St. Pius X. So what was the process for deciding how to make these decisions and how many of them are you in charge of versus delegating what what is that process? Well, it's not my gift, and so I have to credit. You say that, but you've been involved in a lot of building projects over the years in different parishes, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I built the church in Columbia City. Yeah, I had uh, two different building projects in St. Jude, and somebody thinks you're good at it. I don't know about that, <laughs> but um, I had an excellent committee. I really, really had a very excellent committee and a very good architect. And so in the year before we even began building the church, we met uh, once a month at 6.30 in the morning. Uh That was always the the time when we met. And we would have a different member of the parish staff come in and say what their needs were. Mm. One of the things we knew for sure was that we just couldn't keep going with the 1990 new church. It was just too small. Uh And our facilities weren't big enough. The architect worked with us for that. His name's Jed Aidy. He's really good. Father Dan was involved with all of that. Is he specifically a church architect? No, he's not. Okay. However, we did hire a consultant. Uh, His name is Bill Heyer. Okay. He is a, a church architect, and he's from Columbus, Ohio. Okay. And his input was really excellent. And so... The committee was excellent, and they would bring, okay, this is what we would like to do with the artwork. This is what we're thinking for the pews. This is for the altar, things like that. They would bring them to the committee, and then we would either okay them or say that they needed to go back again. Also, the diocese has an art and environment committee, Mm. and they were helpful. Mm -hmm. They were very, very helpful when we brought our plans to them, and they made some good suggestions. And you said Father Dan Scheidt also had input? Oh, very with much. It. Yeah, very much. He's an architect wannabe. Uh-huh. <laughs> so what were some of the things that are maybe unique about this building versus a lot of the other churches? Or what was something that you specifically said, you know what, I like what is in this other church. I definitely want to recreate that. I, the biggest challenge for me 
was how to integrate you know, the changes in the liturgy from the Second Vatican Council with a more traditional church. Okay. And so with a nave and transepts, people are still gathered around the altar. Mm-hmm. Our transepts are big. In fact, our transepts probably are bigger than some of the smaller churches in our diocese. So <laughs> right. people are gathered around there. Uh-huh. And we also wanted access to the Blessed Sacrament. And so the apse behind the altar is where the Blessed Sacrament is. Mm-hmm. And then we put gates up that would separate the sanctuary from the apse. And when the janitors lock the church at night, then people can come in. There's a, a back entrance. They can get a code from mm-hmm. our office and they can come and pray anytime during the night with the Blessed Sacrament in, in the tabernacle. Oh, wow. So that was one of the things that we really wanted to do. The church holds 1,300 people. There were just a lot of decisions that we had to make. Uh-huh. Probably the most difficult decision was the placement of the music ministry. Given the design of our church, it was only logical you know, that there'd be a choir loft. So we built a choir loft. Uh-huh. But the musicians had never had a good experience in a choir loft. They wanted music ministry to be off the side. Uh-huh. And so that's where it is right now. It's in the east transept. Then we had a, a pipe organ in the 92 church, and then the basilica donated their pipes to us. Sac- Sacred Heart. Sacred Heart right. in Notre Dame. So those pipes probably cost about $50,000. So we hired a company that would combine the two. Uh-oh. And that didn't work out so well. Okay. Uh, that company put our old pipes in the east transept, put a, a new organ console, and then filed for bankruptcy. Oh, boy. And that was terrible. Yeah. So we hired a new company, and they're here right now working, putting the pipes in the basilica above the loft. And then when that's done, then they'll construct another organ console, and then the choir can move up into the choir loft. Okay, so currently no working organ. No, we have the organ from the first church. Oh, it's... it's so it's half of it is okay, there. Okay, okay. And that would have been my biggest frustration. Biggest frustration. Yeah. Well, that doesn't seem so bad if that's one thing, but was there other things that went wrong and other... Oh, of course. There's, there's always <laughs> delays and hiccups, right? Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> Our, you know, the cornerstone says that it was dedicated in 2016, but actually it really wasn't until 2017. <laughs> of course, we, you know, and yeah. that's construction. Yeah. That's construction. That's always going to happen. But again, uh, I'm very happy with our construction company, uh-huh. Majority Builders. And uh, I had two people from the parish who oversaw the construction, who did it for me because I don't know anything about that. Yeah. What, what are some of the... You mentioned the icons and art that you have in the church. What are some of those things? Like, where do you go to get those? Or you don't just go down to the Catholic bookstore and say, we need two statues, no, please. No, no, no. <laughs> um, we already had the statues of Joseph and Mary. They're marble statues from the old church. Okay. And then we have four devotional areas. So those two devotional areas are traditionally where Mary and Joseph are. And there's, again, because it's a, the transept and, and a nave, we have two other devotional areas that are in, in the corners of that. One of them, we have a statue of St. Andre Bassett, okay. because St. Andre is the first canonized Holy Cross brother. Mm-hmm. And that statue was made in Germany. 
at a studio in Oberammergau, the Albol uh, studio. Huh. And then by the time we were at that stage, Father Bill Meininger was the uh, pastoral associate here, pastoral uh, parochial vicar, and he was really good at finding things. So he went on the internet and found a statue of St. Pius that had survived from a closed high school in Pennsylvania. And so he contacted them and they said, only if your parish is St. Pius will we sell it to you. So we have an actual statue of St. Pius. And he also found uh, Stations of the Cross that were from a, a closed church in New Jersey. And remarkably, they're exactly the same as the stations at St. Monica's in Mishawaka. And we had them refurbished. In the late 20s, early 30s, this, these same stations were mass-produced. Yeah. And they fit perfectly into our architecture. Huh. And then above the altar is hanging a crucifix. Yeah. And on either side of the crucifix are the images of the mother of God and the beloved disciple. Mm -hmm. So in the Gospel of John, Jesus says to the beloved disciple, behold your mother, to his mother, behold your son. Sure. And they're standing on an anchor. Mm -hmm. And again, the anchor is part of the emblem of Holy Cross. And also the anchor was on the uh, coat of arms of Pius X. So, huh. so that's hanging above the altar. Then uh, we have uh, along the nave and then at the crossings, we have 12 apostles and two of the evangelists were apostles and then the other two evangelists who were not. So the evangelists are on the crossing. The other 10 apostles are along the nave. And then there's the triumphal arch. And on the triumphal arch, we have an image of the good shepherd drawing sheep from Bethlehem and from Jerusalem, hmm. drawing the sheep to himself. Mm -hmm. On the one side is the fire and the uh, cock that's crowing where Peter denied knowing Jesus. Uh -huh. On the other side is the Sea of Galilee with a boat, the fishing boat, where Peter encountered the risen Christ. And the risen Christ said, do you love me? Yeah. Yes, three times, feed my sheep. So uh -huh. right under that is a big image of St. Peter, and on the other side is an image of Pius X, okay. one of his successors. And then there are a number of saints, all of whom have connections with St. Pius, interceding for us. It's so cool. People have to come by and see it if they haven't already. And everything is intentional. That's what I love about it. It's, it's there for a reason and to tell a story. And hopefully people can get just a, a glimpse of that. Another, another cool thing. Yeah is that in the center aisle, we have the covenants, beginning with the covenant with Adam, the covenant with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses, with David, and then the new covenant. So those covenants are mosaics in the aisle. Mm -hmm. And outside the church is a mosaic of a snake crawling around an hourglass. And there's a tradition, especially in, in the Romanesque churches, of stomping on the snake before coming into the church. Oh, I like that. So every time Bishop Rose comes, he slams his crozier onto that. Yeah. A way of saying, you know, through the death and resurrection of Christ, the power of the evil one has been conquered. I am going to stop by on my way out to see that. Yeah, I'll show you. May I stomp on it? I'll show you. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> Don't stomp on it too hard. <laughs> you, you said that... Part of the inspiration for this church was on your bike rides through Europe, seeing the churches there and these Romanesque style cathedrals and, and churches. Where does the bike riding come into play? When did you start taking up that as a hobby? 
Um, when I was at St. Jude in Fort Wayne, I rode my bicycle a lot. But when I came to St. Pius, thanks to some of my friends, I started in, in cycling on the road. So I rode the Camino de Santiago twice. Uh-huh. I did it in 2005 from France to Santiago. How far is that? A thousand kilometers. Okay. And then in 2007, I biked the first 900 kilometers. And then our youth group came in and I biked the final uh, 100 kilometers. Uh-huh. Then I went with a group of friends. We went on the Via Francigena. So the Camino is the uh, pilgrimage route in Spain. And the Via Francigena is from Canterbury to Rome. So uh, the first year we did it, we started in the Alps and rode down to Rome. And so uh, that's where I saw a lot of the Romanesque churches. A couple years later, we started in Canterbury and rode the 1,200 miles uh, from Canterbury to Rome. And so cycling is one of my passions. I love cycling. How many days a week are you riding? Not enough. Um, <laughs> the, now, probably two days a week. Okay. How far do you usually go? It depends on how much time I have. Uh-huh. So tonight we, at St. Pius the 10th, we have what's called Rolling Fellowship. Uh-huh. And every pastor does ministries to what he likes. So we get together, we bike. Uh-huh. When we're done biking, then we get together for refreshments and pray evening prayer. We do that on Thursday nights. So much fun. And I'm looking forward to learning about our newest seminarian. Who is not a cyclist. Oh, okay. He's a hockey player. We'll, we'll hear about that. First, uh, what do you think about our, what was it called, hazy little thing, IPA? Good. <laughs> it's, it has a different flavor. All three of them have been different. They do. They do. And these IPA people always give weird names to them. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, mandatory, I feel like. It is. All right. Well, we'll try one more here for Flavor of the Week Part 4 and hear a bit about your seminarian that's going to be with you this year and try another IPA. Here. Sounds good to me. All right. Thank you, Monsignor.